Today, uh, not a typical day because typically we're in a, a series of messages week after week at Elevation that we're doing, but today's kind of a, a one-off, standalone thing. And I'm preaching, so if you're taking notes, write this down. If not, you might write it down anyways because it's important. The great illusion, the great illusion, because we've all, every one of us has been someplace where we've, we've got to watch somebody do an illusion. It's interesting, isn't it? I mean, to see somebody, they, you know, I've, I've, I've not been in a place personally and seen this, but I've saw it on movies or TV where they'll say, pick a card, and then somebody picks the card, and then, you know, it's, it's like they, all, they shuffle them up, throw them around, and stomp on them and all this stuff, and then they say, okay, the number of your card, and then look at that building, and then boom, there it is, like on, like, you know, and then I'm thinking, I know there's something to this, and my mind starts working, how did they do that? Anybody with me? Like in 1983 when David Copperfield made the Statue of Liberty disappear before a live audience, like, don't do this now. Later, after I'm done talking, you can do it. You can Google, and because and, you, you know that he really didn't make it. There would be like a federal crime or something that you made the Statue of Liberty disappear. You can't really do that, right? And so there's a whole kind of backstory about how he did that or, or a seven-ton jet with people surrounding it or an elephant or a Ferrari. How do, they, how do they do that? It's an illusion. Everybody shout, it's an illusion. Right? It's an illusion. It's, it's not real. It's, it's pretense. It's misconception. It's, it's, it's in some level taking what's factual and making it appear otherwise. That we see something, yet we know it's not real, but we're intrigued by it and sometimes even deceived by it. Right? And, and when you think about illusion, deception is at work in illusion. That we've got to believe something that we know is not real. It's kind of fun at some level until it's not fun. Yesterday, we, we remembered 9-11 and, and all of the, the people that served, and, and we remembered their great sacrifices. And, and, and for those that, that died uh, during that day, we uh, took a moment yesterday. Many of you did. Many of you maybe talked about where you were at, because we all remember, don't we? We all remember where we were. We all remember what happened. Well, unless you weren't born yet, I guess I'm talking to... Right, if, if you're if you're younger than 20 years old, you don't remember. But for those of you that have a few years on you, you remember, and you probably remember that time or talked about it to someone. And and the thing that was the illusion about all that is that that men got on planes and it seemed very ordinary. They were, they looked like ordinary passengers. They seemed as though they were just just um, taking a flight or traveling, and yet the illusion was they were enemies that wanted to destroy. And at the end of that day, it, the, the cost of life from that would be 2,977 lives lost because of the illusion that was before people, that people thought was real, that was factual. And so this morning, I want to just dig in for a few moments on the great illusion. And, and this is church, so help you. So this is church. Sometimes in our world, we get, we get messed up in the way we even view church. We kind of view church sometimes as a library that it's kind of let's come and shh, listen. <laughs> or a museum, right, where we go find some artifact from the past and we look at it and think about something that happened a long time ago, but now how it impacts my life. Well, this isn't a library and this isn't a museum. This is church. 
And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some stuff that I hope is going to help you for today. And it's okay if you talk back a little bit and say yes or preach it or amen. You, you won't scare me. I'll just think you're getting it. <laughs> and if you get it, I move quicker, right? I'm just going, I'm trying to help you today. Okay, 2 Corinthians, pick it up in verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 3. The apostle Paul wrote and said, but even if our gospel is veiled... Uh, some of your Bibles may use the word obscured, if it's hidden. Even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded, who do not believe lest the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God, who's a picture of God, should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord, and ourselves your bondservants for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness. Let me know he's a big God. Who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Apostle Paul's writing here, and he's talking about how that in this world there is an illusion All of us could find ourselves believing in this illusion, falling prey to the deception of an enemy of our souls, the God of this age. Eugene Peterson, in the Message Bible, he renders this, that that the fashionable God of darkness, what we'd like to think about God, what we'd like to be fooled into believing about God, that the, the enemy of our soul tries to paint this picture so we see something other than with clarity, the good news, the gospel of Jesus, and that Jesus is, check this out, Jesus is God's thoughts toward you. Jesus is God's love wrapped up in skin brought to you. How does God think about you right now? He loves you. It's evident in the son that he gave for you. Any other belief about how God feels about you is wrong and an error. So, so this morning, I want to spend just some time digging into this whole idea of, of the illusion. And, it, and it's for, you know, if you're here today and you say, well, I'm not a Christ follower, it'll help you today. I would say, you know, I, I, in my notes, I, I put an unbeliever and then I switched it because I find out there's very, very few unbe- real unbelievers in the world. Most of us come to a place where we believe We know there's something higher, that all this didn't happen on accident, that somehow that we landed on this planet by by mere happenstance and stuff came together and now we have this beautiful creation. That's not how it works. You know that. I could take my bottle of water and leave it in the woods and walk away for a thousand years and come back. It's not changed into a whole entire beautiful design. It deteriorates. That's the way things work in this this world. Things don't go from, from less uh, to more, they go from uh, from more to less, from 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 design to undesigned. We we see that in in our world. If you look at a painting, you know that that painting didn't just occur. There had to be an artist that painted that, right? You download some music off of. Is that how you do it on Spotify? I don't. Even, there's music on this thing on this new thing called Spotify. And if you get a job at Starbucks, you get premium Spotify. I'm just going to help you for a moment. 
That music didn't get on there by itself. There had to be a creator and a designer that, that, put the mu- that, that made the music and created the app and all the stuff so it could be there. There had to be a designer. Don't think somehow, most of us don't, that this world happened on its own. There had to be a designer. right? So, so we get to this place where I would say this message is for... If you're, if you're not following Jesus, this message is for you. It's for those maybe that are new to following Jesus. It's going to help you. And it's for, maybe it's been years. You've been following Jesus. It, it sometimes can happen that we buy into a lie, that we find ourselves following an illusion of how to approach God instead of, instead of how God really is. And so I'm going to use some brothers uh, to relate this to you. We'll go through some, some brothers in Genesis, and then we'll be in Luke 15. If you want to find that in your Bible, you can go ahead and find that and, and mark that chapter. But, but brothers, not all the brothers, it'd take me too long. Not that there's anything wrong with using sisters. We could have used sisters. But I just felt like this is where God had me land this morning. And I'll start off with some famous ones. Most of you in here will know these names. Cain and Abel. Anybody ever heard of Cain and Abel? Say yes. If you haven't, I encourage you to read those first few chapters of Genesis. You can learn about Cain and Abel. Cain and Abel are brothers. They are the first two that we see and have evidence of knowing about on this planet that Adam and Eve, that Eve gave birth to, Cain and Abel. Could have been that they were twins. I like to believe they were twins. Maybe not. Nevertheless, they're brothers. They're siblings. And they had this, this really... Uh, at least on, on one level, coming from Cain, just this really um, difficult, deadly sibling rivalry. In fact, Cain is he's 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 watched uh, over at Abel, his younger his younger brother, and he sees Abel and he sees the 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 worship, the sacrifice, the offering that Abel brings, and he gets pretty upset about it because he's not bringing the same kind. And in, in fact. Um, no doubt, Cain is much like his father. Part of the curse, God never cursed uh, people as we'd read it, but, but God cursed the serpent in, in, after the fall of man, and he cursed the ground. And one of the, the, the curse on the ground was no longer was Adam going to walk over and pick fruit out of the tree and eat it. Now Adam is going to have to dig and till and plant seed and, and pick weeds and make sure the pests are kept away and then go and harvest that. In fact, now Adam, instead of just hanging out in the garden because of sin, it's going to be work. And so Cain, like his father, is, tills the ground. He, he, this is where he lives, where Abel is a keeper of animals. And so there's a difference in, in who they are. And, and I think Cain is much like his father, Adam, in what he does. And yet, Cain looks over at Abel and sees the sacrifice, and he's a little frustrated, aggravated. I would even say envious and jealous. Now, God sees this. And almost like a father, God says to Cain, Cain, don't you know that if you do, you do well, you'll be accepted. But listen, this is me paraphrasing. Be careful because sin is outside of your door. In fact, some versions say it's crouching at the door. It's ready to make its attack in your life. And if you're not careful, this, how many know there's a, there's a slippery slide of comparison that can happen in our life? Yes. And just let me help you, let me help you, let me help you, let me help you. Can I help you? Yes. Okay, now, now watch this. Somebody's always going to be better looking, stronger, sharper, more money, more stuff than you are. 
Don't get focused on that. Focus on what God has done in your life already. Do you realize right now you are blessed? You got more stuff. You got more blessings, touchable, tangible stuff than most people on the planet. Somebody shout, I'm blessed. Yeah, we're blessed. But so Cain's, Cain's got all this, but yet he's looking at Abel, and there's this, there's this problem. In fact, the problem becomes so, so, so wrong that, that Abel will, ride, after God speaks to him, he'll, he'll get up and go out in the field, talk to his brother, and then kill his brother Abel over, over this problem that he has about bringing what he thinks God wants. See, the, the illusion that Cain believes is works work. But somehow, if I do the right things, I'm going to get God's attention. That if I do enough of the, of the uh, if I offer the right thing that he wants, then he's going to be happy. And that's not the case at all. You could be fooled into, de- into that deception, into believing that. I love it. We get some insight in Hebrews 11.4 where, where the writer in Hebrews says this, um, that by faith, Abel offered to God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. By faith. Everybody say, by faith. Not by works, not by his doings, but by faith. What, what was the, 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 the better, the more excellent sacrifice? It was one that was done in faith, not works. Cain's, Cain's uh, way, way that he's going to come, his approach to God, is going to be by works. If I do the right thing, if I get this right, then God's... So if I can't get it right, I won't worry about it at all. Where Abel's approach is faith. By, by implication... In Hebrews chapter 11, we find out that Cain wasn't approaching God in faith. The more excellent relationship, the more excellent sacrifice, the more excellent offering is one that is done in faith. God doesn't need your stuff. He doesn't need more things. He doesn't need more service, more gifts. That's not what God gets or wants. That's not what we need to give. What he wants is faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. What God wants is faith, a faith relationship with you. That's the more excellent relationship. And in our world, we've done pretty good at the religious thing. Let's try to do some good things. I mean, and when I say religious thing, I don't mean just in, in boxes that we call churches and cathedrals. I'm talking about we, we've done it, we've done it when, when we, people say, I don't believe in God, but I want to do some good things. I'm going to give a little money charity. That dog on that TV commercial where they got that music playing, it makes me all sad. I'm going to give a little money to, to help those people. You know how it does to you. <laughs> and they put a dog on there because they know it's going to do better than a cat. I'm just telling you. <laughs> you know I'm playing, I hope. I love all the cat people too because God loves you. Just understand this, though. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. We can do good things, but when is it good enough? When will we ever meet God's standard of righteousness? Right? We'll always fall short, is what Romans 3.23 says. Right? We can be fooled into believing that God wants me to act more like this, or God wants me to be more of this, or that God wants me to give more stuff, or God wants me to try to do more works and fool ourselves into, into believing an illusion when God says, I want you to approach me in faith, in faith. Not because of what I can do for you, not because of what you've done for me, but in faith. 
That's what relationships are built on you. That on, on you know that 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 uh, when you walk down an aisle to get married and, and and they say I do and you do and all that that it's all based on faith. You're going to spend your life with someone. Why? Based on faith. I believe in this person. I believe I can, I believe I love this person. I want to spend my life. I'm just it's it's there's an incredible amount of trust because you can't ever know them like you're going to know them after you're married. Anybody with me? Right? It's, it's all faith. Right? If, if it was just built on, well, I did these good things, now will you spend your life with me? Are you crazy? Right? Would, would we not think that's crazy? It's built on faith. God wants a faith relationship. The other, the other brothers are, are some that, uh, at least one, he's not mentioned much in churches, it seems like. He got a journey on a little further in Genesis. His name's Ishmael. Ishmael. Ishmael and Isaac. Brothers, we sometimes don't even link them together. Brothers, um, brothers from different mothers, right? Right? God is wanting, to, I'll set this up, God was wanting to give Abraham, make Abraham the father of, 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 of all people, of, of nations, of, and, and many people. And, and he says, I'm going to give you descendants like the stars in the sky, like the sand by the sea. I'm gonna, you're going to have just a multitude of, of, of descendants in your, but he has no son. And at some point, it looks like Abraham may have to give his, his inheritance to, to his servant because there's nobody in his house, nobody been born in his house. And God says this, he's 86 years old. I mean, that's kind of old. Right? If you're here today and you're 86, love you, excited for you, but it is kind of old. Right? I'm not there yet, and I feel kind of old sometimes. I'm just saying. Right? And so, and so, so here, here he is, and it sounds kind of unbelievable. His wife aged as well. Kind of this is a struggle. How is this going to happen? We, so because we don't understand how God could do this, we need, they think we need to help God alone, along. We need to help him pull this off. So... How many, anybody ever been there? Like you're praying for something and then you feel like, well, God, I need to help you by doing ABC and then maybe you can make it work. So they do this. And so then the way that Sarah approaches it, she has a, she has a servant in her house, her, her maid. I'm going to, Abraham, I want you to take Hagar, my servant. I'm just going to tell you, when you hear that, this sounds like it's going to go wrong. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like, like we're, we're setting up, we, we already know this is Jerry Springer stuff. Like this is, this is, this is going like, where, like what, how is this going to work? Like you, when you just heard me say that, if you've never heard it before, you know, this isn't going to go well and it's not. So take my servant and, and you go be with her and have a child. And Abraham's first a little hesitant <laughs> and somehow warms up to it and here comes Ishmael born to Hagar. Well, here it is. Sarah's looking at that. She doesn't. Hagar fills it. She's like, I just need to leave here, take my little boy, my little child, and go because I can. I can fill the, the the stairs, and I can tell by the way she's she's real short with me, and how this is not good. And and the Lord sends a messenger, and describes exactly what's going to happen with Ishmael, who he's going to be. There's going to be descendants and nations come through Ishmael. This is all true. This is all true story. Some people like to make this stuff allegoric. It's a true story. It even impacts our world today. Ish, Ish, so Hagar stays with Ishmael. By the time he's about 14, 15, 
Sarah has Isaac, has a son. Abraham is 100 years old. Right? Hard for us to fathom that. Different time, different day. Now, Hagar, or I'm sorry, Sarah says to Hagar, her servant, to Abraham, get her out of here. I don't, I don't want this mess. It's, it's not the Hebrew, it's just me, right? I don't, I don't want this any longer. Can't, we can't do this anymore. And so Abraham gets some water, sends him away, reluctantly. Send, because you understand that Ishmael's been in his care for about 15 years, this is his blood. This is someone he's, this is not right what's happening, by the way. It's not right what's happening, that, that, that you set this up, and now you've sent them away, and, 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 and now um, he's, he's gone. And so Ishmael could just grab a hold of this real easily, that because I've been wronged by people, I'm going to be wronged by God. Because people have done me this way. And so here his mother is out in the desert, she puts her son under a, under a shady bush, ready to die, ready, thinking maybe, maybe he'll make it somehow, but I know I can't make it any longer. And the Bible says this in Genesis 21, verse 20, God was with the lad. God was, and he grew and he dwelt in the wilderness and became an archer. In other words, God didn't, even though, even though he'd been cast out by by, by uh, his, his father and his um, Sarah, Check this out. God didn't depart from him. God didn't leave him. In fact, right now, right now in our world, the, the, the descendants of Ishmaelites are, are many of the Middle Eastern Muslim countries today, Islamic countries. And it's amazing to me that two of the fastest growing churches in the world are in Iran and Afghanistan. People are coming to Jesus. And here's what happens. Sometimes You don't hear this on CB. NBC or ABC or whoever, Fox or anybody, they're not necessarily telling us. But, but here's what you need to know is that Islamic people in those nations are having dreams and visions about Jesus and his arms outstretched saying, come to me. And they go and they talk to Christians and they're receiving Christ and their lives are being changed. And even in, in nations where they be persecuted, God is with them. God honored his word and the descendants of Ishmaelite, God is still with them. Because just because you've been wronged by people doesn't mean God is going to do you wrong. Just because you've been pushed aside, cast out, and, and, and abandoned, and betrayed, and, 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 and abused, God's saying, I love you and I'll be with you. And even in the hurt and the pain, even in the hard times, God says, I'm with you. I'm with you. And I, I, and I look and you say, well, pastor, like, what about this? And I read that story, and what about that? I just think this old saying says, oh, what a tangled web we weave. Right? When we try to manipulate how God's going to do something, we can really mess it up till even today it's still, right? Isaac, through, through him is going to come the Jewish, the Jewish um, Jacob, Israel, and through Ish, Ishmael is going to come all these the Arab descendants that, that follow Allah, and, and there's this big uh, just tension. And yet, if we just follow God's plan, it would have been very different. But even though, check this out, even though when you make a mistake and you make a wrong decision, God doesn't say, I'm done with you. He said, I'll never leave you or forsake you, but go with you, go with you all the way to the end. I was with my granddaughter last night, and Sophia, the oldest one, she's five and a half. Um, my granddaughters, at least the, the Sophie and Lucy, the, the three and a half year old and the five, and a half, they like this movie, Annie. It's about the, the musical Annie, you know, and, and uh, I've watched it now. 
more times than I probably would have ever watched it. I know the songs. I can sing along. I, I, I've learned the characters, right? And, and, and it was in this, watching this scene last night again. She said, she calls me GT. GT, let's watch Annie. Okay. So we're there watching it, just me and her downstairs watching it. And, and they're in this, um, like, foster care home, if you've not seen it. And all these girls are in there. And, and there's this lady named Miss Hannigan. I mean, you just want to go in and grab her and say, stop it. Right? It's just horrible the way she treats these kids and, and all this stuff. And, and I'm talking to Sophie, making sure she understands it. We've watched it before, but somehow I never thought about it. I said, Sophie, now these kids, their parents, they don't have parents. That's why they're there. And, you know, the parents wouldn't do this. And she said, she said, I know GT. She said, my mom said she'd never do me like that. Yeah. yeah. That's what God says about you. You may have been kicked. You may have been pushed around. You may have been mistreated, but just know this, he'll never, ever leave you. And the lie of the enemy is because you've been wronged by people that God's going to do you wrong. That's a lie. That's an illusion. The other brothers that here in Genesis that, that I want to spend a few moments on is two guys named Esau and Jacob. Esau and Jacob. They're famous. Uh, their sibling rivalry is... is um, Notable for sure. Um, Esau, I mentioned Isaac, born to, to uh, Rebecca and Isaac. Esau born first, Jacob born second. There's a struggle. There's a struggle coming out of the womb. The struggle doesn't end. I mean, it goes throughout their life. And there, there, is, a, there is a reconciliation at one point, but you'll have to read the story to find out how that happens. I don't want to spoil your, your reading, but... But there's a struggle, a struggle so much so that, that it seems as though that Jacob is just a deceiver and deceptive. And uh, if there's an illusion, as Jacob is, and from what, some of the things he does. But we'll focus on Esau because Esau is the firstborn. Esau he gets the inheritance. He gets the rights, the privileges that come along with being a firstborn in that uh, ag agricultural community. Esau is in a place where, where he can have a little bit of prominence. He's the firstborn. He's got the birthright. And then there's, one of the, there's a passage in, in Genesis 25 that, that you read, and it, makes you, it gives you a little insight. You wonder, if you're me, maybe you would too, why is this even in the Bible? What's, what's so important about this story that I'm about to tell you? What's so important about it that it's in there? And I think because it gives us a little bit of insight into who Esau was. Pretty important for the Israelites, for the Jewish people, that they, they understand this because they're descendants of Jacob. And so, so Esau, uh, it says this, that he came in one day. Again, he's, he, he's a guy that hunts and goes after wild game. And, and um, the Bible gives us a detail at one point that he's, he's, uh, he's, he's got a lot of hair on. In fact, it looks like... He's got a lot of a whole lot of hair on him, but as you read the story, but but he's a hairy guy, and and uh, his dad loves him, and they hang out together. And Jacob seems to be more uh, favored by his mother, and so one day Esau comes in, and he's just wiped out. 
exhausted, hungry, feels like he could just drop over, and he, he sees Jacob. Jacob's there cooking some soup, some lentils, and, and um, he, said, he said, hey, give me some of that. I need it. In fact, the way he says it when you read it sounds like he's just bossing Jacob around. Like, hey, give me, give me, give me some of that. It's not like, please and thank you. It's not, may I have some. It's not, hey, what are you cooking there? Could I have a little bit? Give me some of that. And then this conversation, this dialogue happens about birthright, about inheritance. At the end, the deal, they've negotiated a deal that Esau is going to trade off kind of his identity, who he is as firstborn, to Jacob for just a bowl of soup. Seems pretty careless. Seems a little reckless. Seems like, how, how could you just throw away something that's so important for a bowl of soup? In fact, in fact, I think, and here's, here's the third point, I think he's carelessly careless. I mean, he's just, well, I just, and maybe that comes from a place of, of being a little bit in a role of I'm firstborn, you're not. I'm going to inherit this. I'm dad's favorite. You're not. Because there, there's a scripture in Malachi chapter 1 that tripped people up a lot of times. Uh, about how God felt about Esau and Jacob. It was about nations, but sometimes people want to make it about just those individuals. And if there is any truth in that, I think maybe we could look at, because I always wonder, so why would, it, why, why would it share God's feelings about Esau in a negative way? Why, why would that be the case? Well, Proverbs six seventeen says this, a proud look, and the Amplified Bible says, a proud look, the attitude that makes one overestimate oneself and discount others. That's one of the six things that God hates. The seventh is, is abomination, is detestable. That, that God doesn't like a proud look. Someone that looks at everyone else in a condescending way, that they've got it and you don't, and so give them honor and give them. God doesn't like that. He hates it. That's a strong word. He hates. I don't use hate very much in my vocabulary. Anybody with me? God says, I, I hate that kind of look. I hate that thing. Esau certainly, by this, by this story that we hear about him, certainly exhibits someone that is in a place of, well, I'm in power and authority. Do what I want you to do. And, and I just want to tell you this, that you can be careless. You can be lifted up in pride. Well, I'm going to do it my way. I know how to do it. I, I found out I don't know how to do it. Right? I, I don't always know how to get it right. I need him. I need him. I was uh, talking to a friend about a month or so ago, and he was telling me, he's 20 years older than me, I guess, and his name's Estel, and Estel was telling me about how that, uh, he's a guitar player, and he was telling me about um, how that he was over at a friend's house one day, it's been a few years ago, and he went to see him, and they said he's out in the garage, and, and he went out in the garage, this guy's a little bit of, somewhat, sounds like a hoarder, and so he's out there, and he's piddling around in his garage, and Estel's there talking back and forth, and he looks over, and on top of this old heater is a guitar, and it didn't have any strings on it. He said it, it looks like somebody's taken, taken a big, wide paintbrush with brown paint and just painted across it. There's a little piece of plastic glued over where the name is, and he's just looking at it, and he asks a few questions, and the guy said, you want it? He said, well, I may take it home and just see what I could do with it. He takes it home, and he gets the little little plate off of the little plastic, the adhesive off and sees the name. It says, The Gibson. It's a Gibson guitar. Then he looks down, after he sees that, he looks down the sound hole, and inside it said, Super 300. 
So he goes to check it out, finds out. That guitar is worth $19,000. Yeah. So he starts working on it and refinishes it and puts strings on it and gets it just so it's right. And he asked the, the friend, he said, hey, that guitar, where'd that come from? He said, that was my dad's guitar. He said, well, does your dad still play? He said, yeah, but he didn't have a guitar. So he said, here, take that one. Never told him. He said, take that one, give it to your dad. Now, here's the thing. All that time that guitar is out in the garage, worth $19,000. How many know if you had a guitar worth $19,000, you'd probably put it in the closet somewhere? Or some of you are thinking, well, I'd sell it right now. <laughs> I'd open an eBay account and sell it right now, right? That if you had that, you'd, you'd care for it. and You'd think, well, this is a value. But this thing's out in the garage, laying on an old heater. It's been mistreated and abused. And, and, and kind of they've been careless and reckless with it. That's sometimes what we do with what God has done for us. Do you realize this morning that God has given you so much? Jeremiah 29, 11 says that he's, thought, he's thinking thoughts of you that are, that are, that are good, beautiful, to give you a hope and a future, a destiny, an expected end, that God has these, these things on the horizon. You were fearfully and wonderfully created, and the world may have tried to mess you up, but don't be careless with what God has provided. You see, the illusion could be is that, you know what, God really doesn't have anything of value for me. There's nothing that's of, of significance for me, so I'll just kind of move through life and, and get by when God all along is saying, I've got something that's so beautiful and significant for your life. So I want to share for a few moments these last set of brothers, Luke 15. Uh, they've said this about... There's three stories in Luke 15. I'll read the last one. You can read the rest this week. They're all about lost, lostness. And um, the one I'm going to read, the prodigal son, it's, it's called the greatest short story of all time. Jesus tells it. Um, it's called the prodigal son. The son is not the hero at all. He does nothing heroic. It's a story about a father and his his lavish, extravagant love for his sons. That, that, that he would go to great lengths to provide for, to celebrate his sons. And how many know, sometimes you got to get away from people who just tolerate you and get around somebody that celebrates you, yeah. right? That, that may help somebody this morning. That didn't, that's not in the notes. That didn't cost you anything, Okay. Luke 15, I'm going to pick it up. So, so this son, you're the younger brother, two brothers. The younger brother has, has said to dad, dad, I know I've got some stuff coming. You're starting to get a little older. So why don't you go ahead and give that to me. I'm going to go, I'm going, I, want to, I want to do my own thing. Let me know that teenage thing. Like that teenage, young 20s where you feel like, well, you know, I'm going to do my, I want to do my thing. We are, we're designed that way. You know you're designed that way. God, God wants you to get out of the house. He wants you to move on and be, be who he's created you to be. So he puts this thing in you where, where you look at mom and dad and you think, well, mom and dad, uh, yeah, 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 but, but I got this thing. You can't, you can't get, let it go too far, right? It can drive you into a weird place, so don't let it do that. But he gets that, that itch where he's like, I want to go do my thing. I want to live life. I want to do it my way. 
give me what I, give, give me what's coming to me. And he hits the highway and he heads out of town. And then he just makes a wreck of it. Messes up. Too much money, not enough sense. Right? I mean, he just, it just blows it. He blows it. Anybody ever been there? Like you're young, you had some money, and then all of a sudden you don't have any money. That's the way he was. No money, no friends, ends up at the lowest of lows. He's down there with the pigs. He's in the gutter. And it says this in verse 17 of chapter 15. But when he came to himself, that's a good place. He had an aha moment, and he said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough to spare, and I'm dying with hunger. I'm perished with hunger. I will arise and go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. And he arose and came to his father. But when he was still a great way off, I love this picture right here. I mean, he's coming down the road. He's heading back to, he's headed back home. He said, but when he was still a great way off, his father saw him. That means this, the father had been looking for him all along. The father saw him and he had compassion and he ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And check this out. And the son said to him, he's got it rehearsed. He's, he knows what he's going to say to dad. I got it all worked out. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before your sight. And I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Wait a minute. Just stop right there. He didn't let him continue on his speech. Aren't you glad sometimes God stops you? For you, before you blunder and make a bunch of statements that didn't mean anything at all and messed up life. He said, but the father said to his servants, bring out the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet, and bring the fatted calf and kill it. Let us eat and be merry. For my son, who was dead, is alive. He was lost and is found, and they began to be merry. I mean, it's a celebration in the house. Right, this son had been gone so long. Right, right. The, the, nowadays, I, I saw a couple of them. We traveled to Florida just a few days ago, and on the way back, there was a silver alert, and there was another alert on signs. And you know, you pray for those people when you see it that they'll. But there being a, there would have been an alert out for this guy. Where's he at? What's happened? I've lost contact. But fa the father hadn't given up. By the way, the father hasn't given up on you. Now. We could pick this guy apart, and certainly he made, he made a bad call, um, but the father never quit loving him. And he starts to go into a mode of thinking, well, if I, could be a, if I could be a servant, if I could just be a slave, right? If I could just have a relationship where I'm not even his son, but I'm just a slave and he's the master, then I'd be, I'd be okay with That's better than where I'm at. That's a, that's a religious mindset. Right? That's, a, that's a religious mindset that, that somehow God is mean and um, he is angry with me and i got to try to do all the good things I can so that, so that it will meet what he needs. Right? It's that slave and master illusion right? that, that we call. In fact, you, you see it not only with the, with the younger son and what he says, but with the older brother. The older brother says after the son gets back, he, they're having a big party. He's outside, pouting around. You, you kind of get upset with him, right? Anybody get upset with him if you read this before, right? Verse 28, 
But he was angry and would not go in. Therefore his father came out and pleaded with him. So he answered and said to his father, Lo, these many years I have been serving you. I never transgressed your commandment. I've been perfect, Dad, everything. At any time, I never transgressed your commandment. Anybody, anybody ever raise a kid and they touch, <laughs> try to talk you out about, I've been so good. And they have, except when they did the bad stuff. You ever notice how you remember the good memories, sometimes a lot better than you do. Like, I was pretty good. Right. For I came to Jesus. You know, I really wasn't that bad. You were bad. And yet you never gave me a young goat that I might make merry with my friends. But as soon as this son of yours, not a brother, their brothers, no, not as soon as this son of yours came, who has devoured your livelihood with harlots, and you killed the fatted calf for him. The younger brother has this view of the father. I'll come in, just be like a slave. The older brother's like, well, this, this is, I, I've not enjoyed any of this, Dad, but I stayed here. Like, this has been drudgery. I've hated every minute. I've obeyed everything you said, and you've never, ever celebrated me. I've been like a slave in your house doing what all you wanted me to do, there's been no joy in it at all. You never one time celebrated me. In fact, you almost see, you can hear in what he says where his heart's at because never one time does it say anything in this story about the younger brother um, spending his money on prostitutes, but the older brother kind of puts that on him. It may be that, that the desire of his heart is put on his younger brother, and he says, and you see, he spent all his money on prostitutes. He may, be, he may be revealing something about where his heart's at. Because the, the problem is we can enter into this slave master and never get to what God really wants. Because all throughout God's word, God's been trying to get this to us over and over. I can't, I can't give you all the scriptures today to help you see this. I don't have enough time. We could spend a seven-week series and still not get to it. What God wants, here's the true picture, is a father and a child. That's what he wants. And what, what, what we tend to do is allow the enemy to bring an illusion that keeps at it from ever being real. Some of you sitting right here, you can look back and maybe your father, there's a, there's a wound because of your father and something, maybe his absence or his betrayal or his abandonment or maybe something that he did or didn't do that you still deal with because the enemy really liked to mess up our perception of what a father relationship is so we can't identify with our heavenly father and what he cares and how he loves us. Here's, here's his love, Romans 5, 8, that while we were yet sinners, somebody shout sinners. While we were yet sinners. Not while you were sitting in church on Sunday morning. Not while you were singing the high praises to God. Not while you quit a few things and started doing a few things and feel like you're a little better than you used to be. Not then, but while you were sinners, God sent his love in that his son died for you. Oh, come on, somebody. Right, that's somebody that loves you. If you ever get a picture outside of God loving you, you've got the wrong picture. There's a story, story told about Thomas Jefferson. When he was president, there was, a, there was a time when he was with his troops, and they were riding horseback, and they were crossing a river. And a few people had gone, and one guy starts out in the river on his horse, and he fell off into the river. And so he's there at the bank where they're entering, and he's in the mud, and staying there in the river, and he looks, his horse goes on, he looks to the next rider, and they move past him, and another, and another, and another, and another. People just riding past. 
Finally, the president comes before him. This is my words. He said, hey, can I get a lift? The president picks him up out of, the, out of the, the, the muck and the mire and the water and the dirt and puts him on his horse, on the back of his horse, helps him get up there, takes him on across the other side, lets him off. When he gets off, all the other, all the other friends and soldiers that are around, they said, dude, again, I know it's a long time ago and they probably didn't say that, but I'm putting myself in the story. Why did you ask the president to pick you up? He said, you know, you know what he said? He said, I didn't know that was a president. He said, all I knew was, he said, on some people's faces, there's a no written, and on some people, there's a yes written. He said, and all the faces I looked at said, no, 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 no. And then I saw somebody that said, yes, and I asked him for help. You understand this morning, this, this morning, God is a good father who's looking at you saying, yes, yes. You got hurts and problems. I'm the answer. I'll help. Yes. He's saying, come to me. I'll give you rest. I'll give you hope. I've got a plan for your life. It's greater than anything you could have ever imagined. Your eye hasn't seen. Your ear hasn't heard. It's not entered into your heart. The great things that I have in front of you. He's saying, yes, come to me. Come to me. Quit worrying about all the stuff and the baggage and the hurt. I'll take it all. Jesus didn't go to the cross so you could just barely get by through life worrying and in the pain and the hurt and the confusion. He came to give us hope, to give us life and life that is full.